You're listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Everything is Going to Be Okay, recorded on October 7th, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, hello everybody. Welcome to Harvest Community Church. I'm going to dive right in. Last week I got to hear two great sermons, um, because I was not here, I was down south for various reasons, and I got to hear on my way home with my wife, um, Pastor Dave Lusk preach from the last chapter of Samuel, and he did a terrific job. And no agreement in the room or anything? Or, nah, they're like, nah, well, he's all right. You don't have to, that's all right. Pastor Appreciation Month, that's okay, you don't have to, just kidding. So then... I got home, and on my app, I realized that Pastor Scott Rising had preached the same exact chapter in Indiana. And now, here's the good thing to know. If you don't have the Harvest app, get the Harvest app. I use it all the time. This didn't start as a commercial for that, but it's about to become one because it's in my head. I use it to give, too. So some of you who probably watch me when the buckets go by and I don't put anything in, it's because I use the app, okay? I'm... (laughs) On that app, it has the message that's preached at every campus. Did you guys know that? So I was able to listen to Pastor Scott preach. And he also preached a terrific sermon. So I had two sermons on the same chapter. Um, we, I am excited about our pastors because they love God. And some of them are specially called to preach and teach the word. Um, And if you talk to them, you'd see some of them would say, no, that's not really my main calling. But others would say, this is very important to me. And we do our best to develop them, and and they're growing and getting better and better all the time at teaching the Word. We're even sending three of them to uh, an event in a couple of months, or next month, I think, to, to get even more intense training on how to handle the Word. Because the way you see God... It is through his word. And we want our preachers to see God before they tell us who he is. And so it's really cool to be able to hear the same chapter preached by two people at Harvest, and they're not me. I really enjoyed it. Um, some of you are saying, yeah, sure, you enjoyed it. You didn't have to do anything last weekend. <laughs> well, I had a lot to do, but not that. And I want to tell you, so, so this week, something odd is happening. I'm going to Iowa for a church thing because we're trying to do a campus thing and I'll tell you later if it all works out with Fred and Scott. So, But they can't get the plane back fast enough. So we're going to do something creative this coming week. So at the campuses, you're going to see Pastor Dave preach. And on because Fr- on Friday night, he's going to be here recording that sermon. But on Sunday morning in Catanning, I'm going to preach. Now here, not we're not just preaching the same passage, but we're trying to take another step. We're working together. We're actually going to preach the exact same main points, and see how that comes out. So you can have a little fun. It doesn't matter which service you go to, you can hear both of them, and you can figure out who does a better job with it, and um, vote for me. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I think God blesses any time we hear the word in faith, don't you? So this this week, uh, the ark, this is... Was it back in 1981, the year I got out of high school? That is when 
Raiders of the Lost Ark came out. Dun, 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 dun. I'm amazed at the sticking power of that movie. Even to this day, there are, I don't know, are there people under 30 who like that movie? Or, or is it now lost? Anyone under 30 here has seen the movie? One person. Do you like it? How about you guys? Oh, and we got to love it. So, so okay, it, it, it's, it's going through another generation. Dun, 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 dun. I went and saw it. I think I was, I have to confess, I was probably high. If you whisper, it doesn't count as much. <laughs> and didn't know, I never heard of an Ark of a Covenant. Didn't know what it was. Um, but this movie, the, the plot's pretty, what's pretty stupid when I think about it, even though I like the movie, I never, if you think about the plot out loud, the Ark of the Covenant is, is about to be found by Hitler. <laughs> All right, already it's dumb. <laughs> now that I, the movies we watch, I don't, why do we like this one? But, but to stop Hitler from getting the Ark and winning the war, which of course we'd have to, the United States government hires Indiana Jones. Makes complete sense. It, could you imagine when they pitched this, you know, Spielberg, Spielberg says, here's the story. They're like, well, he's Spielberg. Let him try it. So <laughs> Indiana Jones, if you haven't seen it, this is definitely the spoiler. He, he, he doesn't get the ark, ultimately. Um, the bad guys do get the ark, but they make the mistake of trying to look inside of it, in which case um, uh, this whirlwind comes out. I guess you're supposed to think it's some sort of manifestation of God and totally destroys all the bad guys. They just melt into nothingness. What they found out was, you think you can do what you want with the ark, but the owner of the ark determines what's going to happen with that thing. And we're going to have two weeks of sermons on the ark, and we're going to see that they kind of stole that part of the plot from the Bible. And that actually part is true. The rest of the movie is fiction. There really is an ark of the covenant. And if you're like me in 1981, you say, I don't know, what it is. Um, it's an ancient box, and it's not very big, just a couple of feet made of wood, but covered with gold. And on top of the box is a seat, and on top of the seat are two uh, angels with their wings touching, made of gold. So it's a very expensive box, very heavy box. And inside the box are three things. One, the tablets that Moses carried down the mountain with the commandments on it. And, and they must have been small. In the movie, they're this big. But the box is only that big. So, you know, why did we think an old man could carry big tablets? What were we thinking? God can write really small font, you know? <laughs> he probably, they're probably like this big. You're like, there they are. <laughs> um, Moses had good eyes. So the, that's in there. Also, the rod of Aaron, his brother, who was the priest, it was in it, and, and, a, and I think a gold vessel with manna, the bread that fell from heaven. Now, this, this ark was built by the Hebrews because God told them to. It's called an ark. We call it an ark. It's a box. In case you're getting confused by that word, it's a box. And that box was, was built because God said, build this box. Remember, all the Hebrew slaves were in the desert, were in Egypt, I mean, as slaves, and then God freed them. Now, for those who know the Bible, you know that. If you don't know the Bible, we can do this from the movies, too. You must have seen the Ten Commandments or some other movie. <laughs> and God gets them all out into the desert. And when they're in the desert, 
he teaches them who he is. I am your God. And those three things inside kind of represent what he gave them in the desert. He gave them the law, tablets. He gave them the priesthood, which a priest is the go-between, between you and God, how to worship him, how to approach him. And he gave you physical provision. There's your manna. Remember, your God went with you in the desert too because what they did with this box was they put it in a tent. And just like the box is called an art, the tent is called a tabernacle. And in the tabernacle, they put the box in one spot and they had a few other pieces of furniture. But that box was the holiest spot in the tent. It was the most important spot. And they put a a big curtain in front of the box and nobody could go in and look at the box all year long or anything. You just had to leave it be. Leave the ark alone. If you didn't leave it alone, you could die because it was holy. And, 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 and in that tent with a box in it, sometimes a cloud would come down. And when that cloud came down, it was the glory of God and nobody could go in the tent at all. Not only to the box part with the ark but any part because God was there and he's so holy no one could go near him even Moses and then all the other people were living in tents right around if you would God's tent do you see the picture of God's tent is in the middle and everybody else's tent and they're all camping with God but when God lifted the cloud and moved it away the people would say, okay, time to pull up stakes. They'd pull up their own stakes. They'd pull up stakes in the tabernacle, and they would travel. And whenever the cloud came, we stay here. God, If God's camping here, we camp here. And they also worshiped in this tent whenever the cloud wasn't there, according to the laws of Moses. And without going through many of them, the part we want to think about is the part where they would go and actually see that ark. The one time a year, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. It just happened, by the way, on the Jewish calendar like last week or two weeks ago. I don't know. And it's the Day of Atonement or the day where everyone's forgiven their sins. That's what atonement is. No matter how good you tried to be or how much you offered, you're going to find out that following the God of Israel is hard. How many of you have found that out? How many of you have been, like me, frustrated knowing what is right, but getting mad at yourself because you can't consistently love the way God loves. Am I the only one? We're all in that boat. Well, God recognizes that. And so what he said to the people of Israel, you're going to give your offerings all year, but once a year, I want to make sure you get this. You're completely forgiven. And what we're going to do is your priest is going to get to come to the Holy of Holies one time a year and make atonement for the whole nation. And then he actually come, but he can't come in empty-handed. He brings the blood of an animal, and he throws the blood on this nice box, which sounds like a horrible idea, <laughs> but it shows you, I guess, sin and sin's ugliness, and, and, and then that was it. Then he had to leave, and no one could go back in there for the rest of the year. That's the Ark of the Covenant, and the tent that, it, that it's in showed that God always traveled with his people. It was the holiest place and the holiest thing the Jews had. The ark led them through the desert. God had them take the ark out when it was time to cross over the Jordan and enter into the promised land. And does anyone know? You probably do. Some of you, some of you don't. What happened when the priest who had to carry the ark on poles, because you can't touch it, when they stepped into the Jordan River, the Jordan River parted. 
when the ark came through. Or when they went to the very first town that they were to occupy, Jericho. They didn't do it by force. They simply marched around the wall seven times, blowing trumpets, with priests leading the way, carrying, guess what? The ark. And then when they settled in Israel, they put the tent up in Shiloh, and they put the ark in there. And that's where the priests ministered from, God's tent in Shiloh. So now we heard in our text, which was read to us before the sermon, that um, after getting into a fight and getting beaten up by the Philistines, all of a sudden the Israelites thought, we're not winning these fights. I know what we ought to do. Let's go get that ark. It seems to work. And everything went south. They lost the battle and they lost the ark to the Philistines. So three observations about this text. All right, ready? If you got your pen... You're ready to rock and roll? Here's number one. People of Israel treated what was most holy as profane. Treating God as a servant of good luck charms. Both of those are the same thing. When you treat the ark, the holiest spot, as if something you can do whatever you want with, you're taking what is holy and making it profane. Like digging a ditch in your sister's wedding dress. (laughs) You know, no, don't do that. And treating God as if he has to serve good luck charms. Look what the people said after they lost the fight to the Philistines. And remember, God is their God. So when they lose to the Philistines, it's a religious issue. God isn't letting us win. And this was long before the idea that a government could have no God. That's a modern idea in human history So the other people would think our God is greater than your God. So the Israelites are like, God, why'd you let us lose? And they actually said that. Look back to our text. It says, why has the Lord defeated us today? It wasn't these Philistines. It was God. Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. Say, we're going to bring that Ark and then we'll win the fight. You, you know, you grow up watching movies. If you watch horror movies, which I don't necessarily recommend, but some of you really dig them, you might notice that if you're, if you're stuck um, with a vampire, <laughs> uh, and not these modern ones. Now, when my daughters were teenagers, the vampires actually are someone you fell in love with, and they bit you and became a vampire, and you liked it because, because puberty. I don't know why because. <laughs> doesn't make any sense to me. But back in the old days, you used to hate vampires, right? And the way you would get rid of them was you would pull out a, a cross. You had a crucifix. Bump it out, and they'd be like, oh! I always loved it. And in any movie where there's a demon possession, here comes the most useless person, the priest, right? We'll get the priest. Get out, Satan! And Satan, like, blows up the church and kills the priest. You're like, why did we call him? But he thinks he's going to do it because he's got a crucifix. That's how they were using the ark, right? Bring out this ark, this Philistines will scatter. People like to wear, if you know any Cubans, Cuban-Americans, um, or Cuban-Cubans, they're harder to find, you have to go to Cuba, they, they, they're given black onyx stones as babies. No, the most devout Catholics still do this, and it's not a Catholic idea. 
Why? Does anyone know why? If you Cuban or you know Cubans, you know exactly why. You need to keep the evil eye off of people. People can look at you and give you the evil eye and curse you, but not if you have this black onyx jewelry. But uh, when I was a teenager, I had a St. Christopher medal. I had no idea who he was or what. But when I wore it in high school, I thought, it's got to be good for me. (laughs) Right? Who's with me? Anyone else do that? I don't know why I'm wearing this thing, but I know it's got to help. You know, (laughs) I don't care if it rains or freezes, long as I got my plastic Jesus riding on the dashboard of my car. You know, you you put a plastic Jesus there, we're good. (laughs) Same idea. And really, it's not much different than not walking under ladders, knocking on wood, crossing your fingers, throwing salt. If you grow up in a Catholic family like I did, at least on my mom's dad's side, they were more serious than my mom's side, there were crosses over every doorway and every bed. Why? No idea. I think just keep Satan away, right? That would keep Satan away. Uh, But... Even here at Harvest, I got in trouble once and someone even, I have to confess, left the church because there's not a cross behind me when I preach. No kidding. I'll never tell you who. <laughs> but, <there's, laughs> but it fits in this sermon to point that out. If there's no cross behind you when you preach, how could God be with you? Good point! <laughs> God is not ruled by good luck charms. You cannot manipulate the spiritual realm through the physical realm. And you definitely can't make God do what you want. And that's what all those good luck charms are saying. Is I will make God do what I want. God, you have to help me. I have a cross. Keep the vampire away. You cannot manipulate spiritual things through the physical. It's all superstitious. It doesn't work. You do not have to throw salt. If you want to, go home Break a mirror. You will not get seven years bad luck. Bad things will happen in the next seven years. But it has nothing to do with that mirror. (laughs) You'll be a little poorer because you have to buy another mirror. Maybe that's your bad luck. But there's a foolish idea that you can make God do what you want. Give you favor if you do a thing. I learned a new one recently. That When two people get married, if you go and get a blessing from so many cathedrals, something good happens in the marriage. I don't even know what. None of it's true. Even religious things. Let let me show you from Psalm 51. David's calling out to God. He says, God, you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. How about this? I'll kill an animal. Just like you said Moses said, kill animals and throw their blood and do this. I'll do that and I'll make you happy. You will not be pleased with that and you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Aren't those things in the book of Moses? Books of Mo- yes, but they don't please God. In other words, if, if you're at odds with God and you think, well, I'll buy him off with worship. I'll go to church. <laughs> you're not going to buy him. It says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. First, says the word of God, get your heart right. Then make your offering. Get your heart right. Then go to church. (laughs) Say to God honestly, okay, I blew this thing. I'm not that awesome. You are that awesome. 
I want to know you. I want to love you. Okay, now you're ready to do your offering. But if you think you buy him off, well, you get the point. So the Israelites, they asked the right question. Why did God let these guys beat us up? But their solution was wrong. Well, we better go to church. No, no, no. You better go back to your question. Why did God let them beat us up? Don't leave your prayer till you get the answer. They should have, that's called repentance. They didn't do that. Instead, they said, I know, let's get the ark. This thing we're not even supposed to mess with. And let's just throw it out into this battle and let the pagans have it ultimately. Second observation. Eli and his daughter-in-law correctly saw the horror of the loss of the ark. Eli and his daughter-in-law We do not know her name. Her name is not given. Eli and his daughter-in-law correctly saw the horror of the loss of the ark. Old Eli knew Phinehas and Hophni were going to die. Samuel just told them last chapter. Remember? Samuel, yes, Lord, I'm listening. What do you want me to know? This is a nice message. Go to your boss and tell him I'm going to whack his kids. (laughs) Do I really got to tell him? Yeah. Eli, I got news for you. What is it? I don't want to tell you. Come on. Nope. Just tell me. And he tells them. And Eli, remember that? Eli goes, well, if God said it. God, Eli is not, he, he's not high on courage, but he does have faith in God. And he says, if God says it, so be it. He knows Phineas and Hophni are going to die. I'm sure he's not looking forward to it, but he knows it. That's not what causes him to fall over and die. It was the ark. He understood. Look, look back to our text, verse 15. Now, Eli was 98 years old. I mean, he lived a long time. His eyes were set so they could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, how did it go, my son? And he brought the news and answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. There has also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And, if that's not bad enough, the ark of the Lord has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat. And then he broke his neck. Eli saw the result of his cowardly leadership not being willing to to discipline his sons and stop the evil they were doing. And it wasn't the death of them, but that the ark of the Lord was taken into battle and lost. This past week, we as Americans all saw as a man was was on trial before the nation, um, accused of all kinds of sexual activities, And then you saw him defend himself. Why? Well, you would too. Everything you worked for all those years, your entire reputation was about to go up in smoke. And we all should be able to identify what, with that. You give your life to a dream and it goes up in smoke. Well, Eli's life was serving God. And because of his stupidity and the way he handled his sons, He didn't just fail at age 98. No time to make up for it. But he lost the most holy thing in the nation. The thing his nation had with him from the desert a couple hundred years before. 
And it was his fault. And he knew it was his fault. How could God allow this to happen unless God was abandoning his people and it's all my fault? I I don't know the thoughts that go through that old man's head at that moment, but I bet there's something like that. And he died. Now his daughter-in-law, I'm impressed by his daughter-in-law, believe it or not. Very, very sad ending to her life. Eli, her father-in-law, who she apparently cares about, dies. And her husband dies. As bad as that is, it's worse to her that the ark goes. There's very few women, I think you could say, if your husband dies and your, and your father-in-law dies all on the same day, that means more to you or less to you than your God. But that was her. So really there's something respectable, I think, in this sad, sad story of the unnamed daughter-in-law. Look again, his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant and about to give birth. She heard the news of what? That the ark of God was captured. That came first. And that her father-in-law and her husband were dead. She bowed and she gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women attending her said, Do not be afraid, for you have borne a son. They're like, there's something good happened today. She doesn't, she's not listening. She didn't answer. She didn't pay attention. And she named the child Ichabod. It's one of the worst things you can do for a kid before you die. (laughs) (laughs) Saying the glory has departed from Israel. Why? Because the ark of God had been captured. And because of her father-in-law and her husband. She's obviously sad about all three of those events. But what is most important is that ark was gone. And then she said, for the glory has departed from Israel. For the ark of God has been captured. As far as we know, these are her last words on the earth. The ark of God has been captured and her heart is ripped out. Because her nation was favored by God and this was a sign that perhaps they weren't. Kavad. 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 Bring it from your throat. Kavad. Now... We don't talk like that, so you can change that V into a B and go with, and, and sharpen that K up, get the out, and you have kabad. Kabad. Chabad. It means glory in Hebrew. Chabad. Chabad. Not a good Hebrew. If you put an I in front of it, you nullify it, Right? Like if you have the word necessary in English, necessary. If you put un in front of it, you nullify it. Unnecessary. Okay? Chabad? Ik. Chabad. No glory is this kid's name. No glory. Was it Washington Irving wrote uh, Headless Horseman, Ichabod Crane? The name is no glory. The boy's going to grow up with that name. Can we just take the eye off? No. Ichabod. God has been dishonored. This nation has been dishonored by the high priest and his sons. And for that, their grandson is going to be called no glory. The glory of God is the goal. Goal of what? Well, of everything. Why did God do it? For his glory. Why is it our vision here that we're going to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere? Ultimately, it's for the glory of God. Or we wouldn't do it. 
The key to the Christian life is what? There's a lot of ways you can answer it, but ultimately, it's to bring God glory. The key to your life, the reason you exist on the planet is to bring glory to God. And and someone can say, well, I'm not going to obey God. He'll still bring glory through you, even if it's through your destruction. He will get glory. But better still, the key to the Christian life is to glorify God. What is faith? What is an act done in faith? That's just an act that glorifies God. Well, you could say, well, what does it mean to glorify God? The Bible doesn't give you a definition that says exactly what that is. I think it's too big. It's too big. But it doesn't leave us in the dark either. To glorify, to lift up, to praise. What's the glory of the sun? It's light, it's heat, right? Can't give you the exact definition, but you kind of know what it is. But above all, I think it's seeing God for who he is. Seeing God for who he is and responding with love towards him will glorify him. You respond positively towards him. He is greater than anyone. And even this woman in her sad death, in her sorrowful death, is still giving glory to God by acknowledging the loss of that ark is the most important thing that happened to her that day, even though she also lost her husband. God is greater than anyone. God is stronger than anyone. God is kinder than anyone. God is holier than anyone. God is above all. God is wonderful. To glorify God means you obey him. It means you enjoy him. It means you speak well of him. It means you proclaim him. It means you defend him. It means you imitate him. Yeah, how do you glorify the Steelers? We buy their jersey. You watch them do things. You listen to radio shows that talk about them. You, you name your son Big Ben and you paint your house yellow and black. And there's people who do all those things. How do you glorify God? Every Christian life. This is not the, where this, well, so I was thinking last week, what, 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 if a preacher does a good job, and I'm not saying I am or I'm not, but what I would measure is, are they really enjoying God and his word as they get ready to preach and as they preach? And that's why I think I like our pastors. I think they, they do. I think Scott did this weekend. I thought Dave did this weekend. But this is a pretty sad chapter. So this preacher was thinking about Ichabod. This preacher was thinking, my name ain't Ichabod, but on Monday, did I bring glory to God? Is that an Ichabod day on my calendar? On Tuesday, did I glorify God? When I, and thinking like that makes me sad when I sin. And I cry out, God, why can't I just do right all the time? Ichabod. <laughs> it, it occurs to me that, that really Ichabod is something I need to be acquainted with every day. Every day, my job should be to say, is it going to be a Chabad day or an Ichabod day for this guy? Will God get glory because I'm glorifying him? Or will I take glory away from him by the way I live my life, by the way I run my mouth, by the things I say and the things I choose to do? 
You know, there's people who get stuck in sin as Christians, and I think we try to motivate them to stop sinning. Sometimes for the wrong thing. Knock it off because knock it off. You go into that strip club, you're taking the Ark of the Covenant into the strip club. Now, that's a little closer to the heart, ain't it? Right? If you steal, stop stealing. Well, I can do it. People can do it. You can rationalize that. You are taking the Ark of the Covenant and you are putting stolen goods in it. You're not glorifying God. There's a... You're picking up what I'm laying down. I'm not going to hammer this much more. Just say, Israel disgraced God. And that boy represented the whole nation. Ichabod. Wasn't just the priests, it was the soldiers. How come we're losing? I don't know. Let's get the the ark and throw it out there. God was withholding his favor and Eli figured that out. And his daughter-in-law figured it out. And it caused both of them to die from sorrow. Ichabod reminds the nation. Now, this is not a happy little text, is it? In fact, at this point, it's kind of bleak. So I can't end on bleak. I don't want to end on bleak. Do you? So the third and final point is the story is not over. This is not the last chapter of 1 Samuel. If it was, it's a bad ending. No, no, no. Eli is dead. All is lost. The ark is gone. Pregnant women are dying. Children are getting horrible names. Can it get worse? Can I remind you of a familiar text from the New Testament? It's the wedding text, 1 Corinthians 13. Now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. This verse is often said at weddings. We talk about how awesome it is to love each other so we can go off and be married and find out how hard it is to love each other. But that's a whole other sermon. But we remember love never ends in that chapter. We remember love never fails. And we think of faith. We think faith is the victory that overcomes the world. You know which one of those three is often forgotten is hope. Oh, and it's most needed. Hope is just as eternal as love and just as eternal as faith. Hope is the knowledge that it can and will get better. Why? Because God. The very first verse of this wretched and horrible chapter, because it is wretched and it is horrible. Nothing good happens in it. Nothing. Nothing. People you want to turn around, Eli, you're watching the movie, right? You're watching the miniseries, Samuel, the miniseries. And you're like, Eli, turn this thing around. It's like watching Breaking Bad. The guy's never going to do the right thing. But the very first verse said this. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Why is that the first verse of this very miserable text? That's where the hope is. God speaks to us through his word. He hadn't been talking to Israel much. They didn't have much Bible. They had the books of Moses. They had what Joshua had done. And they had their history of Judges. Maybe they had Job and that's about it. God was hiding himself by not talking. And they didn't deserve a good speech from God. They didn't deserve a good pep talk. They're rotten. But God didn't care. Who'd he send? <laughs> little Sammy. Those little every year new robes. 
and the word came through him. In fact, look at the very end of chapter 3. Look how it ends. Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord, and the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. The Lord was with Samuel, and Samuel was with Israel. Where there is the word, there is hope. The ark, it was lost. God is going to protect his name in that ark. Tune in again next week. I already wrote the sermon, I love it. <laughs> hope it comes out as good as I like it. But God's going to turn this sucker around. Story gets better. God is going to protect his own name, but he still loves Israel. In your life, you may feel hopeless at times. All hope is gone. But you have his word. I love the word of God because it's how you see God. Samuel was going to speak, so all hope. Let me conclude now. I got a, a big long thing to put in the map so you have some application points. That's the heart of the sermon right there. Let's end it this way. The glory of God and his eternal hope are ours in Jesus Christ. The glory of God, the Chabad, is yours. The reason I'm ending here is, believe it or not, I want to give you something new. The Bible says that, that the kingdom of God is like a person who goes into the house and brings out things old and things new. Well, I brought out some old, the story of Samuel. I'm going to bring out something new from Jesus. And the glory of God and his eternal hope are ours in Christ Jesus, and I want to show you that. But first, let's take one more note. Hopefully, we're seeing in this chapter that, one, we must be people who don't look at God as someone who rewards lucky charms or good religion. Well, God will be good to me because I go to church. No. Got to get your heart right. <laughs> the Steelers will not win more often because you wear that undershirt either, by the way. Just... <laughs> or because you sit in that chair with that drink on that day. Two, that we must live to glorify God by obeying his word. They could have lived that way. They didn't. And three, we need to see that we always have hope, even in the darkest moment. Why? Here, because God has not left us. That, let's go back to that ark, that lost ark. By the way, where's the ark today? Nobody knows. It could be destroyed. It could be gone. There's people who think it's secretly under the Dome of the Rock, which is this big Muslim building that's on the Temple Mount, secretly down there, hidden. But if anyone ever finds that real ark, It'll be a worldwide event. People will freak. They will lose their stuff over this. But I saw that movie. Don't open it. That ark is not God. It was a symbol that God used to show that he was leading and traveling with and living in a tent and camping with his people. With this in mind, I'd like to direct your attention to one Last verse, one short verse. Well, I want to show you something that you may never have seen. John 1.14, speaking of Jesus, he's called the Word, right? And the Word became flesh and he dwelt among us. 
And we have seen his kavad. We have seen his kavad. The kavad of the only son from the father. The, the kavad of God is the kavad of the son. The glory of the father. We have seen it. How? By looking at Jesus. That's pretty cool already. That's not the part I want to show you. Full of grace and truth. <laughs> you want to see the glory of God? You don't need to look behind a veil or look inside a, a box. Look at Jesus. Now, now, here's a part I want to show you. And the word became flesh, and boom, here, here's, a, here's a verb. Dwelt. 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 That's a cool word. We don't use dwelt that much, do we? Dwelt. Remember back when I dwelt at Ford City? Yeah, that's where he dwells. In Greek, you ready for your Greek? That word is skinao. It doesn't matter that you remember that. I just want to prove to you that I actually looked it up. <laughs> if I didn't know what that was, you could say you didn't look it up. I did. It's skinao. Just me saying it makes you want to say it. And you're thinking, I can't say it. There's people around. But you can say it. Skinao. You want to. You can feel it, can't you? Word means dwelt. But actually, the word skanao, and you may look, you can Google it. I don't know how you spell it in English, because it's a Greek word, but try skanao phonetically. You'll find that the word skanao is based on the word, ready? Tent. Now let's go backwards in our minds. Where did God put the ark? In a tent. What did it show? Your God is with you. When it was gone, the glory was gone. The word became flesh and he tented among us. And he showed us the glory of God. Why does that matter? <laughs> you see, God is with you. You say, well, what about the sacrifice? In order to see that tabernacle, someone had to bring blood and throw it on there for our sins. Here's the cool part. And if you've been studying Hebrews, this will make a lot of sense to you. If not, you can study it later. Jesus already entered into the holy place in heaven with his own blood. And that blood pleads for you forever. Have you ever heard the Bible verse that says, we always have someone who makes intercession for us? Jesus. And you might think, well, that's good. Jesus is always up there with his prayer list. And he's like, well, I've got to pray for Bill again. He's always here. <laughs> That's not the right picture. The picture is that the blood has already been shed once. Jesus died, the innocent one, to bring atonement for our sins. So anytime we come to God, there's no sins. He, he paid it. There's a wonderful song we sing some here at Harvest that has the word surety in it. <laughs> my arise, my soul, arise, shake off your guilty fears and all that stuff. All that song is about is a picture of Christ bringing the blood of himself and throwing it on the holiest place in heaven. Next time you hear that song, think about those words, you'll see it. Christ sacrificed himself once for you. And now when you receive Christ as Savior, where does he live? Where does he live? Does the word not say in John that those who believe him, my father and I will come and make our abode with him? He lives in you. Well, if he lives in you, I mean, 
He's the Holy of Holies. He's the ark. Well, he's not the ark. That was a symbol. (laughs) The glory of God is with you. God is with you everywhere you go. The mission of a Christian is to every day remember that and say, God, how can I glorify you? And when we fail, which we will, we say, God, I cannot believe this. (laughs) But I'll thank you for the blood that you shed already to constantly, forever make intercession for me. Oh, help me to glorify you today. It's a Christian life. It's a Christian life right there, all right? Let us not be Ichabods. Does anyone here really want to be called Ichabod? Really? Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.